This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This week, the Clarets take on the greed of the Premier League as they go to Old Trafford looking to extend their unbeaten run to five games. This is the Known and Ever podcast. And welcome to another episode of the Known and Never podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Bromley, and joining me this week for a look back on everything that happened this weekend are Team Known and Never, Tom and George. Gentlemen, welcome, welcome, welcome. Good evening. Evening, Natalie. Nice to be back. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I thought I'd lost you both for a second. I thought I was on my own. I was like, uh, guys? Team Nona never have left me and gone to join a super duper podcast league to get paid trillions a week. Um, well, gentlemen, we have, <laughs> I know we have uh, clearly a significant amount to talk about this week. We have got the loss away at Manchester United. That's three losses on the bounce, which is disappointing, but a much improved performance. So we're going to try and close some positives from that. We're going to look at survival prospects, generally speaking, seeing how the table looks as we come into the final stretch of the Premier League. And then we're going to talk about the talking point that's overshadowed everything. And that is, of course, the news that the six greedy expletive 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 clubs at the top of well not even at the top of the Premier League that's the biggest joke of it um the six greedy Judas clubs from the Premier League have broke away and intend to join this super duper elite European super league nonsense and get paid millions and millions of pounds to play each other in a closed shop so we're gonna have a look at that because I think we're gonna have a few things to say but we don't care about super duper league because at the moment we care about the Clarets Tom it was a defeat in the end. We were quite confident going there. Um, but considering some of the performances of late, particularly the collapses against Southampton and against Newcastle, a very, very much improved performance, I thought. Yeah, I think when you go into places like this, especially uh, the form that, that they're in, Man United, I think there's five wins on the track now in the league, one a few in, in Europe as well. Uh, you've, the main thing is the performance. You've got to go. If you go there and, and you put in a bad performance, you're going to get a slap in. If you go there and put in a good performance, you're probably going to get beat. But it gives you a bit of something to work on. And especially as you say, uh, a couple of I wouldn't say the worst performances of the season, but certainly obviously lacking the kind of solidity that we usually used to seeing. Um, that was the big hope really is that we could put in a kind of performance that restore a bit of confidence, restore a bit of. Uh, you know, enthusiasm for the run into the season. And quite a few people who were, uh, I, I suppose, because it's been so long since the, the good performance against Everton, had a couple of bad results since. And there's quite a few people who couldn't see where the next win was coming from. And I think when you look at the running, we have got a few winnable games, but probably needed a, a performance to, to back that up, a performance to, to give us a bit of confidence going into those games. And, and as you say, we did get that. Obviously, no points. And it's, uh, it's not an easy place to go, despite the fact that we normally do all right there. Um, yeah, one of them, it's uh, not not a game to be mm. too downhearted about, a good performance, an enjoyable game to watch as well. I think even if you're a neutral, you've enjoyed that game. So, uh, yeah, reasons to be careful, I think, uh, 
coming away mm. from that, even even though we've come way empty-handed. Yeah, definitely. Um, Georgia, a quite surprising change of formation from Dash. He opted to go 4-5-1, which we've not seen for quite some time, beefing up that midfield, which we've been saying for a good few weeks now, desperately needed it, and opting to play, quite frankly, a spectacular Chris Woods up front. Um, and for once, that it wasn't even, I don't even think it was a gamble, but his change of tactics and his change of approach to the game and his, his willingness to be adaptable um really paid off i thought it really did it was it was it was sometimes the 451 it leaves a lot to be desired especially with our team i saw jamie smith tweeted something like we were using a, a hendrickian number 10 uh, role again which I, I like to see because i think with the likes of jeff hendrick when we have turned to 451 in the past it's not particularly worked we've completely isolated the striker there's a few good games when Arfield played there, uh, took them away when we drew one all at Wembley. But apart from that, it's never really worked that well. But at the weekend, mm. I thought all three midfielders were excellent. Brownell, you know, did put in a right shift between linking up the midfield in the attack. And it just did work all the way through the game. And it worked like a 4-5-1 should do. You know, we were tight. But then going forward, we sort of opened up a bit. and We had players up there with Wood. So I think if we're looking to use that formation a bit more in the future... There was only positives from the game, really. And obviously, as we all know, the 3-1 scoreline was a bit of a, a skewed uh, display of, of what the, the, the game actually actually saw. A 2-1, a 2-1 would have been fair. Yeah, that's true. Um, I think you often see this, don't you? You know, when a team's pushing forward in the end to try and get something from the game, you do leave yourself exposed at the back. And I've got absolutely no problem with that. I'd, I'd much rather us go down 3-1 and at least try and get something from the game than just try and defend a 2-1 defeat and not even go for it. So there's no no, no qualms from me. Um, Tom, just how impressive for you was Chris Wood? Because for me, it was one of the best games he's played for us this season. Yeah, I think uh, we spoke on him before about how much how much better he's become in the last couple of seasons at leading the line. I think he's stronger than he used to be. Um, better at sort of uh, beating up defenders, hold, holding the ball up, things like that. Um, and I think probably the first chance he's had to play on his own up front since uh, you know we were having the four five one experiment with Hendrick behind him. And I can remember God the days. I think there was the the, the, um, the season after we were in Europe, it's Palace away just before Christmas. Uh, I remember I was in a pub with my dad pre-game, got the team up. We saw Hendrick was playing behind Wood and thought, right, that's it, we're getting nothing today. And I think that was even worse than the 5-1 against Everton a few weeks later, that performance. We really <laughs> were dreadful. But in, in the couple of seasons, then Wood has become so much better at, at leading the line, at, at playing on his own up front. He's, he's much more physical. He's much more willing to get stuck in. He holds it up a lot better. And yeah, it was a, a fantastic sort of lone striker's performance. He didn't give the defenders a minute's piece. He was holding it up. He was laying it off, making good runs. Uh, I think a really noticeable thing about the performance was, you know, um, in recent weeks, we've looked more of a goal threat with Vidra up there alongside him. Yeah. And probably the worry was when you saw that we were playing 4-5-1, where's the goal threat going to be, you know, with no Vidra? What, what, you know, where's the out ball? But Wood really did that job fantastically well on his own. Obviously, a toenail away from giving us a, a really early lead. Um, probably is obviously we know the big flaw in his game is his, uh, his inability to stay on side sometimes, and it, and it came to haunt us a few times in the first half. But yeah, it was a fantastic performance, and I thought, um, you know, as uh, George alluded to before, um, we saw as well as Wood playing that number nine role better. I think uh, having Brown Hill playing the sort of the, what what we'll loosely term the Hendrick role was uh, was good <laughs> to see as well. I think Brown Hill looks a better player there when uh, people behind him to to cover. So. Yeah, uh, it was a, a fantastic lone striker performance from Wooden. And as George said as well, it gives you sort of a bit of confidence that perhaps we have got this formation in our Arsenal now in in, uh, in games where it might be a bit more appropriate to go five in midfield. You know, say if we go to that Fulham game in a couple of weeks' time with a, with a good victory against Wolves under our belt and we only need to go there and get a point, you'd be quite satisfied to see a line-up 4-5-1 now perhaps. So, yeah, always, yeah, always good to have a bit more versatility. And I thought after comparing last week... Newcastle, the big problem was the lack of options, the lack of versatility. thought we had a bit more of that uh, on Sunday, so that was good to see. Yeah, it really was. And I think 
I mean, I'm still a bit gutted about that goal. I'm sure there's been, I'm sure at some point in the season, there's been goals that have gone in our favour that way, but it just, it did seem so painfully close. I think my only beef with that that goal was it just seems to me that every single time there's an offside decision um, in the Premier League, like they are, like they draw the lines, they spend absolutely ages trying to figure out whether it's offside. And they seem to draw the conclusion for Burnley that very, very quickly. So straight away, it's like, oh, it's Burnley. Crack on, lads. It's bound to be offside. So that irked me a little bit. It's like, how many times have we seen a five-minute decision where all these lines are drawn to try and see if we can make sure it's onside or offside? And we don't seem to be afforded that same luxury. But um, never mind. It's not the first time we've been deprived of something. Um, the other change for me, George, which I really impressed me and I think added to the stability of and the renewed confidence of the team was... Um, Jack Cook back in the side. Um, for me, he just makes a massive difference to that midfield when he's playing. Yeah, he's an absolute trooper, trooper of a player, and I think he's been so trooper. Uh, he's been so undervalued <laughs> as well for, by probably you know both fans of other clubs and Burnley fans alike for years. Like he's just such a an engine in the midfield, and he has got he has got a proper class about him and the knack of winning the ball back and you know just playing it forward at times. And there's a reason he got called up for England. Like, yeah, we were doing really well at the time in our European season and we were going well in the league, but still he had to produce that quality on the pitch. And he was rightfully called up for mm. England. And obviously he's getting a bit old now. That's not going to happen again. But for the time being for us, I think he's definitely knocking on the door to start every week. I know he's had his injuries and that's why he's coming back into the team, but he was superb at the weekend. And he just adds a touch of class in midfield, a touch of maybe calmness and reassurance in there that maybe Brownhill with the lack of experience yeah. lacks at times. And I think we've noticed that recently. Sometimes midfield just gets a bit overrun. And I think there's probably a lot to say for stuff that we don't hear as fans. It's probably him like organising the midfield and just that sort of knack he has with Westwood or with his midfield partner that we probably don't even realise and don't even notice at times. But I think when he's in the team, you can certainly notice a reassurance about the midfield and maybe we're not always the most attacking of sides but we certainly look a bit more solid and he's crucial to that core of the team you know Port the centre-backs and Cork and I think if you've got build a team around that at the moment we'll, we'll struggle to go down hopefully oh god oh jesus christ i can't i, I can't do the, the maths again i've been uh, i've been i keep going i'm driving poor tom insane in our group chat um one minute i'll go from being like no we're so safe it's absolutely fine you know fulham have got to win three games and we've got to lose three games blah 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 and tom's like yes natalie and then literally five minutes later i'm like oh my god we're going down we're absolutely going down fulham are going to win all of their games and tom's just like for the love of God, woman, will you shut up? Uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, I, I said this on Twitter. I'm going to release some of our group chat at the end of the season just for the lols. Um, so, <laughs> one player that we've been a little bit unsure about so far but is another forced change due to injury is young Pharrell Williams, as I like to call him in goals, uh, Bailey Peacock-Farrell. Um, I think it showed a little bit of nerves in the opening few seconds of the game. But actually, in the sec- by the second half of the, of the uh of the game, I thought he was starting to show a little bit more composure and a bit more confidence. I think that's fair. Yeah, it's quite impressive with him actually. I, I'm not mm. not a big fan of his. That's uh, from what we heard from Leeds fans, is a bit hit and miss. What I've seen him play for Northern Ireland, and occasionally he looks fantastic, and occasionally he looks absolutely terrible. And uh, he's that has kind of been mirrored in his performances for us. I think in the, the League Cup games, he didn't really do anything wrong. But then that Man City game, I know none of the five goals were his fault, but I think he. He was lucky not to score two own goals. I think VAR saved him twice, and he really did look bereft of confidence in that one. So I was a, a little bit nervous, um, you know, for these, you know, not having poked for these two games, especially Man United. I thought we were going to get a bit of a hiding, but I mean, it, it wasn't at fault for either of the goals against Newcastle. He wasn't at fault for any of the goals on Sunday. Made a couple yeah. of smart saves. The one from Fernandez with his legs, I think, near the end. Was it Fernandez? Somebody at the back post. He, he, good block with his legs. Pesky might say using his legs to save it. So um yeah, there's something there. I think there's definitely a bit of talent there. I wonder I wonder how much of it is is confidence and how much of it is that, you know, that being able to kind of stand up and be counted. So getting minutes in the Premier League is only going to help him with that. It would be nice if he had a you know, he could get a victory and a couple of clean sheets under his belt. But uh, you know, he's going he's played some big games this season and uh, and I think that was a, a much improved performance to what we saw at, at the Etihad earlier in the season. So yeah, it can only be a good thing. Um, 
yeah, I suppose we'll have to see what, what happens with regard to the keeper situation in the summer. Obviously, while Poach here, he's not going to be number one, but perhaps he's uh, perhaps he's doing himself a bit of a, a, a few favours if, if Pope does end up going in the summer. So, uh, yeah, in, encouraging performance, I think. I was uh, I was a little bit worried about these these couple of games with him in goal, but he's, uh, he's proved me wrong. Yeah, I think I think one of the things, there was a there was a save he gave late on where he could have easily given a penalty, and you'll all know which one I mean, where he, the, the, I think the commentators were particularly um, applauding him because I think he, he came out to it and deliberately kept like his arms and everything together and went very, very rigid to make sure he didn't give away a penalty. And the United players were absolutely screaming for one. It was just like, behave, sit down. Um, but for him to have that confidence to spot that opportunity and understand the risk and to take evasive action I thought maybe the, the the player we saw a couple of games ago wouldn't be able to do that particularly at Old Trafford as well so I was yeah I was pretty impressed with him um George looking ahead then um we are still are we six points clear now after that ridiculous goal um point that Fulham got against Arthur yeah we are still six points clear now and we have eight games to go seven games to go Let's have a look, people, while we're doing this. Um, I guess after the weekend, I think it was a bit of a a funny game, a funny week, Sunday for us, wasn't it, George? In that, obviously, at one point, it looked like Fulham were getting a a, a bonus away um, win at Arsenal, which would have put, which would reduced our deficit to what four four points with them still to play, and it was starting to look a little bit bleak. But I, I wonder whether that uh, equalised by Arsenal has just done enough just to keep them far enough away from us. How are you feeling relegation battle-wise? Yeah, it'd have been a real <clears throat> sucker punch for Fulham at the, at the weekend, that one. I think if they've got a win there, you can you just never know. Magic happens at the end of the season. You know, teams get out of it. They, they put a run together. I think that really will have uh, been a sucker punch. I'm just looking at the fixtures remaining now. And obviously, Fulham have got a few less than us. And I think that they've only got maybe three winnable games in a normal scenario. I mean, we all know the big six don't care about the league now, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> um, so they've got probably three winnable games. Burnley, Southampton, Newcastle. Whereas looking at our fixture list, we've got five. Wolves, West Ham, Fulham, Leeds, Sheffield United. And I think that final game of the season is just, it's a nice like money in the bank for us that, you know, we can cash that in if needed. If needed, in case of emergency, smash that glass. Go to Sheffield United away at the end of the season. And we, if our survival you know, laid on that game, I have more than enough confidence that like the likes of Talks, Dyche's manager, Ben Mee, they would win that game. You know, it was just like thinking back to the Charlton away game a few years ago, win to win the league on the final day. I, I, I'm more than confident that the, the, the players would be up for that and go on to Sheffield United and give them a bit of a hiding. So I, I think we should be fine. Six points should be good. But at the end of the day, it's still been a rubbish season. So it's not that not nothing to be like that overjoyed about. I'm still I'm not not going to be parading down the streets, but at least it's survival in a bit of a dodgy season. See what next season brings if it even exists. Yeah, I mean, I think now I've actually got the table up and I'm I'm able to do my homework. Yeah, it's uh, we've got six games left and Fulham have got five, so they've got two. They're six points behind us, so they've got two win actually I suppose goal difference could do it they've got to win two and we've got to lose two um with a goal deficit swing to go above us on goal difference um and then they've got to better us in every single fixture with us still to play them so I think it's I think the odds are definitely in our favour and I think you're right well you keep saying that though George you keep talking about Fulham's tricky run but they've put up a real fight in some of those games and I I think I feel I feel a little bit better after Saturday's result that we have more winnable games in us. After the Southampton and Newcastle debacles, I was really starting to panic as to whether we had any winnable games in them. But I think generally speaking, Tom, you've been our voice of reason throughout the whole of the season and you felt calm right up to this bit. Did you even have a, a wobble at any point when Fulham were beating Arsenal? Should, tell me, put my mind at rest. Tell me you had a wobble. No. Uh, I mean, I've been saying consistently all season, Fulham are rubbish. I don't know if you watch the game how they all won it up. I think they had one shot in the old game. They got a penalty that was a, let's shall we say, bought the penalty. Yeah. The, uh, Arsenal had a goal disallowed yeah. for us. Someone's turn over being offside. The penalty was about as offside as the goal that was disallowed. You know, it's arbitrary whether or not they give them because it depends when they want to reframe it. Very lucky to get the penalty. I mean, Arsenal are rubbish. We know that they're, you know, we know that they're in great shapes, but 
Fulham were crap as well. I mean, like I'm not worried about them at all. I mean, they've, I think well, I keep saying this, but you know, for all people say they're playing well, they do. They don't win any games. They won five of the first 33, so they've got to win three of the last five to stay up. You know, I, I, I've got absolutely no idea where that's coming from. The performance against Arsenal wasn't great. I mean, obviously it's a good point for them, and, and they dug in well when they had the, when they got the goal, but they were very, very fortunate to be one the up and uh, watched them the week before against Wolves. That you know they let in another last minute goal in that one. Uh, no, no, I'm not worried about them at all. I'd be absolutely amazed if they. I mean, it, and you know, even if they'd have won and we'd have lost, we've we're four points above them. We've got a game in hand. You know, I, I don't rate them all. I don't, I don't see, I don't see the hype, and I'll be amazed if they can turn around a six-point deficit on us, playing a game less. If we go there and we don't lose, then uh, we're as we're as good as safe with regards to Fulham, in my opinion. Yeah. So I guess on the flip side then, do we need to start worried about a slight late um, surge from West Brom? They're only three points behind Fulham now with two games in hand. <laughs> George, why are you laughing at me? <laughs> this is... A... <laughs> I, to, I to unmute myself just to laugh is, at you Listen, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to put forward <laughs> some topics for conversation here, George. God, do you know, this is what I've got to put up with listeners. They just laugh at me all the time. Listen, it's a valid point. So at the moment, West Brom have got two games in hand on Fulham and they're only three points behind them. If, and I know it's an if, but they've won their last two games. If they won those two games, they would be on 30 points and just three points behind us. Albeit we would have a game in hand on them. So I think it's a legitimate question to ask. If you, you know, you've been saying, George, at some points this season that you were concerned about relegation. I think there's, there's possibly an argument that we should be more concerned about West Brom than Fulham. <laughs> I'm just Come looking on, out. George. But, but take man. this into account, right? Their goal difference is awful. It's a, it's it's eleven. It's twelve goals worse is, than us. True. So you've got to take another point into the equation there. They, they've got one more yeah. point um, in there that they need true. to get. Maybe they've been showing they've been showing decent signs lately. But I mean, it's a hell of a hell of a lot of points to make up. That if we win one game. I can't see how West Brom are going to make up 12 points on us if we get to 36. I think Agreed. we just need one yeah. win. And that's, no, and I, that's do agree. I do agree with West that. Brom. I think we just need one win and we're safe. Because one I think Fulham are trite. I think they've been lucky to get to 27 points. Like like Tom says, they just don't win games. So for them to win three <laughs> of the last five, <clears throat> if they do that, then fair play to them. Very true. And we deserve to go down for throwing away the leads. Well, they've got seven. They've got seven games left. West Brom, yeah. So West Brom have got seven games to go. I'm just looking at their fixtures now, actually, because they've just had a bit of a resurgence now. But they've got to play ooh, Leicester. That's not nice. They've got to play Leicester, Villa, Wolves, Arsenal, Liverpool, West Ham and Leeds. Yeah, they're not nice fixtures. They are not nice fixtures. So West Ham and Leeds are the only winnable yeah. ones there. Yeah, okay, exactly. So. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. That's See, a tough run into You're scoffed, George. Bomb, you got to, sometimes you've got to ask the questions just so you can discount them. Do you know, honestly, listeners, this is... Yeah, plus it makes us look good and we can feel safe <laughs> now. Yeah. That's true. I mean, it is quite interesting to think that we might... I usually... I think I might have mentioned this on the podcast before. In uh, in Casa del Bromley, we tend to look at a, a, at a, a benchmark of winning 10 games. If there's very... Very few teams that go down if they've won ten games. I think one more game, one more win in us, and that puts us on nine, which is probably close enough with the dross that they've got this season. Um, Tom, I mean, okay, let's Tom, let's look at it's we, rubbish, though, it, it is, it's a, yeah, it is, it, yeah, no, it's not been a great season. But Tom, if we look at Burnley's, let's let's do this very quick exercise now, just because I'm I'm still getting panicky. And Tom's shaking his head at me now because he always does and just laughs at me because he's mean. Uh, see, this is what I mean, listeners. I'm going to give you like a bit of a behind the scenes now. Everybody thinks that Tom Claret is a massive... Tom Whittaker is a big angel and that he's all... He's the saviour and he's not. He's mean. <laughs> he isn't really. Right, Burnley's fixtures. So we have uh, Wolves on Sunday. Hang on, my screen's not loading. This is terrible, terrible radio. Uh, Wolves on Sunday. West Ham... Fulham, Leeds, Liverpool and Sheffield United. Tom, there's got to be at least two winnable games in that, I've got to say. Surely. Yeah, watching Wolves recently and they beat Fulham 1-0, they beat Sheffield United 1-0. There weren't any great shakes in either. They're, that, they're beatable. I mean, I'm not saying we'll go there and definitely mm-hmm. win, but they're beatable. Uh, you know, by the time we play Leeds, they'll be mid-table. They won't have anything to play for. West Ham, that'd be a tricky game, but, you know, they lost to Newcastle on 
on Saturday, so or Friday, whenever it was. So they're by no means uh, invincible. Uh, I agree with George Sheffield United that that is the exact fixture you want on the last day of the season if you've still got any points that you need to pick up. And then Fulham, I mean, uh, you know, we wiped the floor with them in the FA Cup game. I know two different teams, that the lineups won't won't be the same when we play them in the league, but you know, quite lucky to get a point off us at the turf. And uh, uh, you know, if we if we have to go down there and win, I'm not. It's it's, it's not a an insurmountable prospect. On I thought I think they've lost about three or four at home on, on the spin as well. So yeah, I mean, of they of those uh, remaining fixtures. Mm-hmm. Probably say you couldn't see us beating Liverpool. Yeah, I agree. West Ham is going to be a difficult game, but the rest are winnable. So uh, yeah, I think. Yeah. Like, like if your benchmark is ten, if you've won eight of what thirty-two, I think you can get one or two out of the last six. And even if you pick up a couple of points here and there, draw at Wolves, draw against Leeds, yeah. draw against West Ham or whatever, that's that's three three more points that you need into. So yeah, I'm not worried at all. Good stuff. <laughs> Okay, I think that's all we have to talk about on the game against the Greed. So let's move on. Let's rip off that band-aid and let's open the can of worms and let's discuss the only topic of conversation which is being recorded today. Now, we are recording this podcast on Monday night, ready for Tuesday launch. And Sunday, obviously, the announcement came through that six of UK's, well, England's elite clubs are forming a breakaway league, this super-duper, fancy-pants, ridiculous European Super League. Um, They want their cake and eat it. They're taking all their money, they're taking all of their players and their top managers and their facilities and entering into some ridiculous contracts with the uh, as founder clubs of the Super League. Um, guaranteed something like £3.5 billion, pounds, I saw somewhere, in terms of um, investment in their infrastructure and essentially the start of this league. The idea being that they will play midweek games um, and it will be a closed shop. No relegation, no promotion out of it. And it's their own version of the Champions League. So they will turn their back on the Champions League and they will play the Super League instead. Um, quite rightly as well, um, met with widespread condemnation by pretty much everybody, including the fans of some of those clubs themselves, and has basically turned the last 24 hours into a pretty dark day for football as we know it. Um, George, I'm going to start with you. Um, You being the youngest member of of None and Ever, our little baby of the group, you've um, obviously known Burnley playing the majority of your life playing the upper leagues and you've seen most of your football post 92 um, actually all of your football post 92 which is quite depressing um, in terms of, of Premier League money so you don't really know anything different but obviously the rest of us do know and remember uh, pre 92 football um, I, I guess I don't even know where to start other than what was your immediate reaction and what are your thoughts 24 hours in yeah, I just thought the same thing. I was like, I was thinking, where am I going to start here? And I was like, I have no idea. There's just so many alleys to go down here. I mean, there's, yeah. the, there's the fact that this will just collapse the football pyramid. But I think immediately the thing we can touch on is before even all these plans go into place and happen, the, the Premier League right now, it's pointless. Absolutely pointless. There's, the integrity is gone. Yeah. The, the, they've completely undermined the competition tonight. They've just gone 1-0 up against Leeds. Who cares? Like Tom says, they're one step closer to the Champions League that they won't be competing in. It's just absolutely a joke. They've brought into disrepute the, the Premier League, the FA Cup that they're still competing in. Uh, I think there's the League Cup final this weekend. That's been brought into disrepute. It should be postponed. The Champions League has been brought into disrepute. It's all pointless and meaningless. And it just leaves you as a fan just feeling... So sick, and I think it's just a double whammy after the last season of being football without fans, basically, and people have fallen out of love with football as it is, and it's tough to watch as it is. Never mind with the the fact that these games now are pointless. I found it quite funny that Sky, who obviously are not going to be the broadcast partners for this new league, um, have rightly been criticising it, and Neville and Carragher were on the pre the pre game, and they just said just before they went, and it's live, and they went, this game is pointless. It means nothing in a year's time. And I thought, well, that's not quite selling it. There might be a few people turning the TVs off, but rightly so, because I think that's just the first point I wanted to touch on. It's all pointless, all pointless. And it's sad, really sad. 
Yeah, it is It is really sad. And I think that the ramifications of this are going to go on for quite some time now. Um, Tom, for me, just the the immediate sadness is not... I wasn't shocked to see this was going to happen. And, and just the idea that there's this level of greed and corruption in, in football didn't surprise me in the slightest because, of course, it's there. And and there is, there is somewhat of an irony to the Premier League and Sky Sports calling foul play and greed um you know i think there's 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 a bit of an irony there that we that we need to 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 put aside for one moment but for me i think the saddest fact of it is is that it's the loss of the dream for me i think this is how i sum it up yes the the premier league is is a beast now and it's not fair and it's skewed too much towards the top six teams and there isn't a fair distribution of money and the premier league could do a hell of a lot better in getting that money distributed down the the the, the football pyramid but there is still the dream there's a dream that the championship at the end of the championship you can either get promoted to or you go into a playoff at Wembley to get into the Premier League there is a dream that a Burnley could play for eight years out of 11 in the Premier League and play away at Old Trafford every season and there's also a dream that a Leicester can have the stars aligned one season and win the Premier League against all odds and beat those so-called top six teams and actually, one really very convenient fact that Spurs have forgotten in their history is that there's also the dream that a team like Spurs could work and work and work and work and build and muscle themselves into that top six to replace other sides that traditionally would have been there and be that top six side themselves. And you take this away and that dream has gone. And, and you think, well, without all of that, what do we play for anymore? Yeah, I think the first sort of thing to to say about it all is that whatever way this goes, whether these teams stay in our league, whether they go from our league, whether this European Super League is a success or not, it's, it's changed forever now. They've, they've finally, uh, as you say, it's been building and building. We've heard things about Project Big Picture and this, that and the other in the last couple of years and they've finally played their hand now and, and things are going to change irrevocably. Um, and it's sad because, you know, we like you say, we've enjoyed being in the Premier League these last few years. We've had some great memories. We've been to these big grounds and, and had some fantastic wins and, and great days out. The, I, I think, uh, obviously, there's, we're in the early stages of it. We don't know what it's going to look like yet. Well, we know the Premier League club, the other 14 clubs are meeting tomorrow to, to kind of discuss the Premier League's response to this. Um, it's going to end one or two ways. Either these clubs are going to stay in the league um, they're going to have, as you said at the top, you know, four hundred, five hundred million pound every year, and it is going to be completely the, the, the dream is going to be completely dead. You know, it's not even just going to be a case of well, we can't qualify for the top European competition anymore, whether we like it or not. That'll be a close shot. Obviously, they're going to have five qualification places a year. As they say, how oh, that's going to work, I don't know. But the, the, if those top six clubs get an extra four or five hundred million pounds of revenue every year, then we're not even going to see like a team like Leicester or West Ham breaking to the top six. It's going to be, it really is going to be a close shot. Now, that that uh, to me, that's the worst, the worst case scenario. And obviously, we need those clubs in the league to keep the TV deals and the TV money coming in, coming in as it is. And if the teams do vote to, you know, to expel them from the league, and if that is possible to kick them out, then it's going to have a massive impact on the finances of the rest of the teams in England. But if we can weather that storm, the only sort of note of optimism I could sound is, uh, as you said, you know, it's been building and building. We've had these six clubs dominating the, the Premier League. We've had them dominating the domestic clubs for years and years. It's only the odd team that Manchester win one, Leicester, you know, is the exception rather than the rule. Swansea winning the uh, Wigan winning the odd domestic cup but it doesn't happen very often the the sort of note of hope that i'd have is if we kick these top six teams out and, and i really hope we do I, I, i'd absolutely love to be to be shot at them i'd love them to to you know to uh to leave and, and join this league and it and it to blow up in their faces and then have to come back with the tails between the legs and try and break the stranglehold they've got on english football at the minute but if we do get rid of them and we can weather the storm and and you know uh Let's have it right. English football, if those six go, are really going to have to put their finances in order. There's going to be a massive drop in the money that's flowing around the game. The wages are going to go down. You know, clubs like ours are going to have to sell players if we want to survive. We're going to have to cut our cloth massively if we want to survive and, and even thrive. But once that's once the dust has settled on that, once that's happened, the note of optimism that I've sound about it all is 
you know, imagine a league where, you know, Burnley can, you know, not just, not just hope to sneak into seventh and, and sneak into Europa League qualifiers. Imagine if we'd had that season without these top six clubs, we would have won the league. Imagine, you know, in English football, where these six of these six clubs have, you know, they've buggered off and, and we can, you know, we can challenge for the Champions League, whatever the Champions League looks like without the top clubs. But, you know, we, we could be, you know, we, we could have realistic ambitions of, of being a top half Premier League club. You know, we could have realistic ambitions of, of, you know, really being a, a you know, a, a better team. And, you know, you can have the argument, oh, well, you know, uh, you know, well, it's not the top tier anymore, Man United, Liverpool. I mean, maybe that is the top tier of football, <clears throat> if that's what you like. But, I mean, that's, that isn't football, is it? That, that would just be a series of glorified exhibition matches. You, you know, who wants to be able to tell their grandchildren that they've lifted the European Super League trophy? It, it, nobody cares, you know, no one's interested in that. The champions of England, you know, champions, of, these, are the, these are the historical trophies that people want to, want to lift and yeah you can say well we, you know we were not doing it as man united we were the best of the rest of the i don't care you know at the minute the best you can hope for is to be the best of the rest anyway i'd absolutely love to get rid of these six i'd love to have a, a competitive league i'd love to i'd love to go back to you know a time when anyone can win the league when you you could put a decent team together you know you can craft it on a budget that's not ridiculous you know you don't have to buy it like blackman did you, you can <laughs> you manage your team well and you put a decent squad together and you've got doing something you know what I mean? That's what I'd love to get back to. And that the, the only sort of note of optimism that I'd strike based on all of this is, you know, it, it once we've got past that initial crash, if we do get rid of these six clubs, then we have got the chance to restore English football to, you know, the, the kind of game where it is possible, where, where someone other than these six clubs can uh, can really build a, a team and really build a legacy. And, and for me, that would be better for, for our club. But, uh, there's a lot of ifs and buts in that, you know, whether we're going to, whether the Premier League as a whole is going to have the, the cojones to get rid of these six clubs, I don't know. Whether it's going to be financially viable to, to carry on playing without them, I don't know. But if we keep them, then it is dead, you know. If, if we keep them, then we've, you know, we've signed it off to them forevermore. So for me, we've got to bite the bullet and, uh, and exist in a post top six English league, whatever that looks like. But I guess, you know, Think more things will come out. There's a lot of, I mean, pretty much everybody apart from the billionaire owners of these clubs is, is opposed to it. So maybe that'll have some bearing somewhere down the line. Fingers crossed. Let's maintain a united front against it. Let's all be optimistic and let's see what comes out in the wash. But yeah, whatever whatever way you look at it, that it's changed football irrevocably, and it, and it is a, a, a sad day. As you said, it's made it's made me really sad today reading all about it. Well said, Tom. I feel a bit emotional listening to that. That was, um, yeah, that was perfect. That was exactly everything articulated, exactly how I felt today. Sometimes you're just reading everything that's happened today with some disillusion and you just think, I don't know how I feel about this. I don't know where to start. And George, you and I said at the the top of this segment, where do we start with this? And Tom's just absolutely nailed it. Um, George, for you, to me, this this is potentially going to be the ultimate club versus country decider and there's a lot of talk at the moment where UEFA and FIFA are fully intending on banning any players who play in the Super League from playing at international level which will include World Cups and the Euros this club versus country debate has been going on for ages there's always been a bit of a war between fan and player about the effort and the amount of pride that some players take in playing for their country as opposed to their clubs where they make a lot of money george you're harry kane you continue yes yes i'm giving you the title of harry kane george is now dancing around his living room um imagine you're harry kane for one minute and you are currently the, the england captain and you have the potential to take england to a euros um, and a World Cup, and uh, you have uh, that taken away from you. You can no longer ever act as an England captain. You can never walk your side out again at Wembley. Um, but in exchange for that, you get to play in a Super League for your club for 50 million quid a year. Do you care if you're Hurricane that you can never play for your country again? I know Wayne Rooney came out today and said that there was no way he would ever, ever give up playing for his country, which is a bold statement and it's a very admirable sentiment. But whether or not he would be, it's very different saying that when you retired and you're at manager level as opposed to being Hurricane now. 
But if you're Harry Kane, what do you do here? If the, if you are faced with the prospect of never being able to play for your country again, do you care? I think it's really tough to judge the players here. I think, like you just alluded to, um, again, watching the the pre-match coverage today with uh, Neville and Carragher, that these two have been the most vocal proponents against the Super League since since last night. That you know they really do hate the idea. And Carragher has always been a man of the working class. He stood up for the dock workers in Liverpool. He's always been on the side of the trade unions in Liverpool. He's done a lot off the pitch in that aspect. And yet he admitted on the coverage, he was like, I did I did nothing when I was a player against the club's ownership. Whenever they were in in in, in, in bad bad ways, whenever they committed bad acts with the Gillette deal and stuff like that, Carragher never spoke up. And he said it's because it's so hard as a player to do so. It's just not in your nature to do so. You're putting your, your livelihood at risk. And Neville said the same. He never spoke up against the Glaciers when he was a player. And these are two of the most outspoken pundits now, two of the most, I'd say, principled people uh, in the sort of punditry game. And yet they never spoke up. So I think it's really difficult to judge the likes of Harry Kitten. And I don't, I don't expect them to speak up, to be honest. I think we've not heard it yet. I don't expect to hear it. At the end of the day, these players are professionals for 15 maybe even 10 years of their life at the top level we all work for maybe 50 years you know and fair enough they've got enough money you know than we we could ever dream dream of but still they they're not going to speak up against this I don't expect it to but I'm not just talking about I'm not talking about speaking up here though George I'm, I'm talking about what do you do as a decision you know yes I, I don't expect any player to speak up I think some managers will they're contractors huh? They're contracted. Like, I, if they don't speak up, I think that's the only thing they could do. Maybe, yeah. Because even transfer requests have they've only been like transfer requests have only happened because they need to make a public statement to say they want to leave the club because their inner workings within the club of asking for a move have not worked. You know, I just I just don't see any other way that they could do anything because they they are contracted players at the end of the day they their contracts are not up this summer they will be playing in the Europe in the super league if it happens if that is i was just going to say george if you are harry kane do you not state your desire that you won't play in it and that you'll just get sold and you'll move i mean obviously the, the massive problem there is is where the hell does harry kane go to where all of the teams he would want to play at are in the super league exactly at this one yeah because it's going to be so hard for them to say, oh, I want to move to Everton. I want, I want, to, I want to move to Leeds. A, them teams will never be able to afford him. Tottenham would literally just hold him ransom under contract until his contract runs out, which might be twenty twenty four. That's three years where an elite player is completely, you know, missed out of his career. It, it just won't, it just won't happen. And it's and it's so tough, like Tom alluded to, the fact that we don't know what a post top six even football order would be in England. I think it'd be a massive risk for these players to then. Just commit to not playing, um, but I think I think the onus, rather being rather than being on the players, is on the the, the leagues themselves, UEFA, because it's them who eventually will collapse at the end of the day. Mm. And UEFA needs to come out this week and, and say it's not about World Cups in the future. They won't play in the Euros this summer if they, if this if their clubs proceed with this because because without the leagues doing something, you know, there's not really much we can do to stop them, and we're in an existential crisis right now where the balance of power between the top six and the other clubs in England is at a point it's never been at before. They completely own the game as it is. We need to bite the bullet and just basically tell them to sod off. And like Tom says, we just need to ride the wave because if it's not if we don't tell them to do that now, they've got us by the cojones for the next generation completely. They've got all the power because in order for them to stop in the league, they will hold the Premier League to ransom for the, the greater voting rights, etc, etc. I mean, just look at the way Real Madrid's president is going to be the, the founder of this new league. He will be the organiser of this new league. It's it's completely uh, corrupt and it's it's all about their power and money. And I think if we don't do something about it now, it's just going to be kicking the bucket down the road. I think we really do, as Tom says, we have to peel off the plaster now and just say, Geronimo, here goes. Let's see what happens because without it, we're we're in a point where the the balance of power is completely tipped, and uh, the the big six will rule over English football for for decades to come. Yeah, 
Yeah, definitely. Um, Tom, another very quick one. This is going to rumble on, so I, I fully expect we could talk for hours, but it, you know, everybody's had their, their piece today, and, and I, you know, we'll probably end up talking about it next week. It's going to be a very fluid and ever-changing scenario. Uh, one quick point that I want to just finish up on before we close up for the week, and that's just to have a look at how this is going to impact us as a club, and you touched on this in your, in your monologue earlier, but what's Alan Pace thinking right now? You know, he's only just bought, a matter of four months ago, a football club with the idea of growing it and trying to be competitive and making more commercial opportunities. This is now this now puts ALK in a really vulnerable position, doesn't it? And therefore us? Yeah, I have to say, first of all, I don't have a great deal of sympathy for whatever happens to Alan Pace as a, as a result of this, because he's cut from the same cloth that these top six, uh, you know, these owners are, uh, you know, he'll feel the exact same way about it. He's not bought us because he's a massive Burnley fan and he's been stood on the long side for 30 years. He's bought us because he wants to make money out of us. And if he was in the same position, he'd be doing the exact same thing. I don't have, I don't have any doubts about that. Now, obviously, <laughs> he'll be a bit gutted, I should think, today, because he's obviously bought in at a bad time. He's, he's leveraged a bit of debt onto the club to, uh, you know, to make this purchase. And in, in you know, in uh, seasons gone by, could have, uh, you know, used the Premier League money to to manage that debt. But now, uh, I think we've got another year of the, the current Premier League TV deal, and then we're going to have to have a serious look at what comes after that. Now, obviously, we've, we've kind of got two scenarios, it looks like, at the minute. We can either say sayonara to this lot and uh, and bite the bullet, as I said, of a, of a massively reduced TV deal next time. Um, and with that, you know how manageable are, is our debt situation? Then, as I say, we're going to have to we're going to have to massively slash wages. We're going to have to let players go. Are we then a, a sustainable going concern as a Premier League club? You know, arguable. Um, and it's not as if we're going to have you know loads of ticket money coming through the gates to make up the shortfall. So you know, our, our financial plan is very much dependent on this Premier League TV money. To, you know, would you have parachute payments after that? Probably not, certainly not in the form they are now. The other option is, you know, to, to to roll over and say, yeah, please stay in the league. You can have whatever you want. Let's just try and keep as much of the TV money coming into the Premier League as possible. And obviously, as I said, that probably dooms Burnley to, you know, uh, uh, and not that we had a great chance of ever winning the league anyway, but it, it certainly completely takes away any chance of that ever happening while these six clubs are still in the league. Now, if you're Alan Pace, which option are you looking at? I strongly suspect he'll be looking at the option that keeps the most money coming into the club. So he'll be looking at option B. As I say, I think that's a it's short-sighted and it's a massive mistake in terms of you know what, where we are as a sporting concern. Our chances of winning silverware, of you know watching entertaining, winning football, etc., etc. But as I say, he's cut from the same cloth, I think. So what he'll be worrying about is the bottom line and he'll be he'll be taking the option that that makes Burnley Football Club and by extension him the most money. So uh, yeah, I have to say from from a Burnley point of view, uh, yeah, I'd much rather that we, we got rid of these six out of the league now and, and see where we are in ten, twenty years down the line. We might have to bite the bullet, we might drop out of the Premier League in the short term, but We'd have something to aim at. We'd have a bit more hope for the future, in my opinion, in, you know, in, in the long term. But from Alan Pace's point of view, I think it's it'll be very much the opposite. I think it'll be the short term. Let's try and keep as much money back as we can. Yeah, I equally worry, Tom, about about the what Alan Pace is going to do. I think listening to Steve Parrish as well on the Monday Night Football earlier, I think he was naive. I think he was definitely maybe protecting his own back before making any major statements at the moment he was talking about how they need to reincorporate these top six see what their concerns were and I think it's just a completely naive approach I think we're at a point now where the, these top six clubs and it realistically it's these top six owners it's their owners it yeah we're like bringing down Liverpool and all all that with this but it, realistically at the end of the day it's that it's John Henry and it's the owners it's just a shame that Liverpool's name has to be attached to all that because it's not the fans' fault. It's nothing but the owners' fault. Um, I think these owners are like a mafia, like Neville said on the coverage. They do not care. The Glazers are coming to United and absolutely strip the club bare. You know, the stadium's falling apart there, Old Trafford, this absolute behemoth of English football. And you don't invest any money into into the stadium. You know, the steel's rusting around the ground there's there's nothing going on for fans on a match day there's loads of undeveloped land around old trafford they just they literally do not care 
I mean, it's like it's come out today. The, the talk about the legacy fans and about how the the greater good of the game is of secondary concern to them. They, they literally do not care. And it needs to be a point now where Alan Pace and the other Premier League owners need to be really, really tough on them. And they do need to expel them from the league. But I just, yeah, I, I equally fear that it's not going to happen. And if, if we do um, bow down to these top six clubs now, that's that's the tipping point. That's the end of competitive football uh, in England as we know it. So I think there's only one option here and that's to kick these six clubs out of the league. But whether they do it or not, I doubt it. And I think it, it calls to a greater problem with the, the, the way that football's run in this country with the lack of regulation. I mean, at the end of the day, it's all well and good saying, oh, we need to look at the German system now. But other political parties have been calling for this for years and were not heard. Um, and I think it's it's too little too late now. The UK government now is only bothering now that the Premier League taxes might be coming back to bite them in the bum. So it's, it's up to the Premier League owners now and it's up to the fans to make as much noise as we can. But it's just the same with the... Uh, just the cut, you know, the, it's with the COVID, it's going to be difficult to put um, much of a fight. Um, I don't hold up much hope at the moment. Oh, indeed. And what a mess the football world has now found itself in. I think it goes without saying, everybody here at None and Everon, as well as everybody across the football world, it seems, we strongly oppose the new European Super League. We're absolutely disgusted by what these big six clubs in the England, um, in the Premier League, sorry, have done. And let's hope that this is brought to a swift end as soon as possible, because quite frankly, this could end up being the end of the game that we love so much and have invested so much of our lives into. And it would just be an absolute travesty if all of that history was to be wiped out because of the greed of a small selection. That's all we've got time for this week. My thanks as ever go to everybody involved in preparing and putting together this week's podcast. To my colleagues, Tom and George, for giving up their time tonight to sit and talk through all the issues we've raised. For Band Joyce, for our music for this week's edition. To producer Matt, for editing and knitting all of this together. Um, but finally to you, the listeners, for downloading and supporting this podcast. Your support is very much appreciated and we would not be here without you. Dave and I will be back on Friday um, to preview that game against Wolves at the weekend. And the rest of the team will be back for the analysis show probably next Tuesday where we will carry on this debate about the Super League and hopefully have some kind of news for you that it is all over. Let's keep everything crossed. I've been Natalie Bromley. This has been the Known and Ever podcast. Until next time. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.